Welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soullesschurch.com. Uh, I'm going to invite Damien to come up here, and if you have your Bibles, would you open them up to 1 Peter chapter 2 and stand with me this morning? 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 4, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Zion, a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble by being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Who are once not a people, but are now the people of God. Who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, Glorify God in the day of visitation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the presence of your spirit here, promise in our midst, in our gathering, and for the light of your word, a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. We come to you as a community this morning in need of more of your spirit, more of your truth, more of your presence, more of you, God. And so we ask that as we posture our hearts now for the final moments we have together in this gathering, we just pray, God, that we would lean in to every single thing you want to do in our lives in this moment. And that's what this time is about, God. It's about you and who you are, how amazing you are and what you're doing in our lives. So we just ask you to work here. We ask Holy Spirit that you would speak, that God, you would get me out of the way. Whatever efforts I have or preparation I have, I just give it to you and just ask Holy Spirit, you speak, you move, and you work in this time. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and take your seat. All righty. Well, Here in the month of January, as we're still getting used to writing the date 2023, we are in week four in the month here of January of a series for this month that we've entitled All Things New. All Things New. So kind of around the theme of the turn of a new year, we're exploring, as the tagline says, all the the ways that Jesus leads us as his people and really at all of humanity, out of the old 
and into the new. And we take this as one of the main themes of Scripture, that sin can bring about the same old, same old brokenness in our lives and in our worlds. But that's not the end of the story because Jesus enters to make all things new, to do a new thing. At the end of time, the Bible says there will be a day where God will make all things new once and for all. This is who God is. This is what God does. He breathes fresh newness and life into dead old things. And that's what we're exploring in this series, all the different ways that Jesus is leading us. And I uh, just want to remind us that we're, we're not just doing this to learn this. We really believe that anytime God has us study something, it's, it's, it's more than just information. It's about transformation. So, so God wants to do this in our lives. That's what we're learning here. It's not just about like, oh, look what the Bible says about new things. It's like, Jesus, take me to that new place in you. Do that new work in our church. Bring newness. If this is true about you, let it be. Amen? And so that's what we're after here in this. And so we've been looking at all sorts of different ways that Jesus leads us into the new. We started with a new year that Jesus leads us into. We talked about navigating the turn of a year. The week after, we looked at this incredible, this incredible truth of how Jesus leads us into a new covenant. We're a new covenant people. There's a new covenant that he leads us into out of the old that's vanishing away. That's a shadow of the new in Christ. Last week, we explored this idea that Jesus leads us into a new life, to be a new you, to be a new me, as new creations in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17. And this morning, we want to explore this idea about how Jesus leads us into a new community as a new people. Go ahead and jot that down. That's the big idea today. Uh, Jesus makes us new people individually. This is the good news of the gospel. God doesn't come into our lives and say, let me help modify the old. He's like, let's make that thing all brand new. Let me renew you, transform you to be a new you in me. He makes us new people individually, but there's so much in scripture about how God leads us to be a new people collectively. He's making us to be a new kind of community, is the idea. A special kind of Community, And that's what the Apostle Peter is speaking to here in 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, really, it's the whole letter that Peter writes. Peter is speaking to this idea of Jesus making a new people in him. And we read it. Let's go back through it. Peter says to these Christians, these Gentile Christians, he says, coming to him, we've come to Jesus as to a living stone. He's talking about the process through which we've become a new people. And he uses this really interesting architectural analogy of Jesus being this living stone, this, this bedrock, this, this, this formative foundation for a construction project. This stone, he says, was rejected indeed by men, both in the time of Jesus and in our time today. Jesus is still rejected by the very community of people he came to give his life for. It's the human race. But Jesus, despite his rejection from culture or our neighbors or whoever else, fill in the blank, how many of us know this? Jesus, at the end of the day, no matter what, has been chosen by God. He's the Messiah. He's, as Bobby had us pray, he's the Lord. And he is, I love this, he's precious to the Father, the preciousness and the value of Jesus, whom we've come to. And then Peter says this, you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. God is 
is constructing us upon this stone Jesus to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We're going to come back to that. Therefore, it is also contained in the scriptures, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. There's only goodness and glory through faith in Jesus. No shame at all. Therefore, to you who believe, this is the true state of a Christian's heart. He is precious. I love that. The words of Tim Keller, religious people find God useful. Christians find God beautiful. And he's just valuable. Jesus, we just think of Jesus, the precious blood of Jesus, the precious Savior Jesus. You know, think of Gollum. Of course, good morning. Think of Gollum in Lord of the Rings and his precious. It was the most valuable thing that he gave his whole life to. It it formed him. We have our own preciouses, right, (laughs) that draw our hearts away from Jesus from time to time. But this is the truth of a Christian, someone who's, who's, though we may struggle to stay there, we've come to find Jesus to be most valuable. Are you with me? It's Jesus. He's the stone that the builders rejected. This is speaking about Israel, the community that God has called to build his kingdom on earth. But he who was rejected has become the chief cornerstone. It says this, he's quoting from the Old Testament, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. People who reject Jesus, they stumble in disobedience to the word to which they're appointed to receive and be saved by. I love this. But you are a chosen generation. Let this settle into your heart. Let this settle into us as a community this morning. There's two kinds of people he's described, right? There's people to whom Jesus is a cornerstone, and there's people to whom Jesus is a stumbling stone. There's people to whom Jesus is problematic, and there's people to whom Jesus is precious. And Peter is contrasting that. And he's contrasting who we are compared to who most of the world is in rejecting Jesus. But then he's like, listen, that, that might be true, but he's like, stop for a second and just think about for a moment who you are as the people of God. Ready? He says, you, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Notice this, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And he says this, isn't this the truth? You were once not a people, okay? You weren't always this way, but it's certainly who you are today. You are now and forever the people of God. You hadn't obtained mercy, but through Jesus you have obtained mercy. Now this is really interesting language that Peter uses here in these passages, in these verses. Because Peter is writing, listen to this, Peter is writing to Gentile Christians. But he is using Jewish imagery. Did you see that? That language here in verse 9, that you're a chosen generation... You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation, his own special people. If you didn't do any contextual work and understand what you were reading with 1 Peter, you would be thinking that that Peter's writing to Jewish believers or the Jewish nation. This comes right out of the book of Deuteronomy. How God chose Israel, not because they were more in number than all the other nations, but he chose them, he says this, because I loved them, because I love you. Now, this is really interesting. Now, when you read 1 Peter, though, you see that this is written to Gentile believers, Gentiles are non 
Jewish believers in Jesus. As Paul says, those who are foreigners from the promises of God and have been brought near through Jesus. I would assume, even though we're in the city of Boca, that's most of us, okay? Most, all my Gentiles say, hey. No, just kidding, don't do that. Um, that's the community of faith today, made up of both Jew and Gentile alike. That's the big idea here. This is amazing. Peter is speaking to Gentile Christians using Jewish imagery, communicating a central point. You see, it was understood, especially those new believers, that the Jewish people, as the, the, the tree of salvation to the nations, they were the people of God. That's the story of the Old Testament, God's chosen people. That's why he says to these Gentiles, you were once not a people. You saw that? He's like, you, you were once not one of these peeps, okay? All right, you're one of my people now. That's my people. But there is a time when you weren't the people of God. But through Jesus, he's telling these Gentile believers, listen, Paul says it this way, that through Jesus, the, the middle wall of separation between Jew and Gentile has been broken down, and now there's one new man in Christ. And what is this referring to? Well, we, we know the answer to this. This is... The church, right? The church of Jesus. The people of God. Who have this one commonality. Here's our one commonality. It might not be our skin color, our personalities. Come on, we know that. Spend enough time in church, you'll find out not everyone has the same personality type as you. People think different. They act different. Um, they process different. Our commonality is Jesus. It's him. He's our cornerstone. We've said, he's precious, and I'm gonna, he's the foundation. I'm building my life on him. And through that commonality, we become one. We become one new man. Listen, we become the people of God. This, this is the promise of the new covenant. We studied this two weeks ago. God said that I'm going to make a new covenant with the world. This is the promise. And he says, in this new covenant, I will be their God. And they will be my people. Just stop and process this, this, this for a second. We, as the church of Jesus, get to be the people of God. We're his people. I mean, think about that. We are the true people of God. This is, uh, really, let, let's understand this. This is who and what the church is. Whatever church has become in your mind, let's... Let's dumb this down to its basic definition. Don't we need to do that sometimes with Christian things and concepts that we just get so used to? At its very fundamental levels, the scripture teaches that the church of Jesus is simply and foundationally and primarily a people, a community of people, both gathered and scattered, who forever belong to God through Jesus. This is the church. I think of Acts 20, 28, where Paul is writing to elders, and he says, Take heed to yourselves and to the flock, the church, among which the Holy Spirit has called you to, to shepherd his, his flock that he's purchased with his own blood. It's the redeemed community of those who forever belong to Jesus. This is such an important reminder. Can I remind us this morning? Okay. Church is not primarily a place. Amen? It's not, that's, not, that's not what church primarily is. It's good to have a place. Places are good. <laughs> Places are good for people to be the church in. But the church is not merely and not primarily a place to congregate in. That's not the church. And I think that's important to say because a lot of us, we think in terms of church being a place. Uh, secondly, the church is not primarily, this is huge, uh, not, just, is it, not only is it not just a, a place to congregate in, 
The church is not a pastor to connect with. I just got to get closer to that pastor. Then I could really get close to Jesus. And today we, we build churches around people who aren't Jesus. And we build it around pastor-centered ideas. And we think of the church in terms of the pastor. Now, as the pastors go, as the elders go, as the leaders go, so the church goes. So you want healthy leadership. But the church is not a pastor, okay? Thirdly, the church is not a program to critique. How's the program? How's it going? How does, how does it go there? Is it a good deal? How much do you tithe? Is it worth it? You know? How do the programs work? Are they, are they growing? Is it better? Will my family... You know, now these things all matter. We think about these things as a church. We think about how we can best serve people and minister to them. But that's sort of like... Do you understand what I'm saying? That sort of consumer mindset towards the church, that's not what Jesus died for. That's not who he redeemed. These things matter, but these are not primarily who and what the church is. The church is not primarily a place to congregate. It's not primarily a pastor to connect with. I would advocate for churches having pastors. I'll just say that. That's, I think that would be a good idea, okay? But it's more than all this. It's not less than some of these things, but it's more than this. At its fundamental level, the church of Jesus is a people who forever belong to God through Jesus. We're his people. Now, I think it's important touching on that note I mentioned, and Peter gets to this. That this people is both a scattered and gathered people. Maybe this will help you make sense of all the different kind of things that I'm sort of harping on and and, and commenting on. The church is both a scattered community and a gathered community. Uh, We see Peter even allude to this with the Christians that he's writing to. In 1 Peter 1, this is where this letter starts. He's writing to these Christians. And he communicates this idea of both uh, scattered and gathered people. He says, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Notice that he's not writing to one organization. That's not the church in his mind. He's not writing to one, you know, 501c3 church of many churches in the region of Boca Raton. He's writing to a, literally, the word pilgrims of the dispersion is literally scattered strangers is what that word means. I love that name, by the way. that That would be a great punk rock band name, first of all. It's like, what's your name? We're the Scattered Strangers. It also, I think, could have been like a top candidate for the name of Christians. Wouldn't that even be cooler? What's your name? We're Scattered Strangers. What's up? You know, a little creepy, but we'll move on from that. Now, he says, you're the scattered ones. This is also, by the way, Jewish imagery, the, the, the dispersion of the Jews since Babylonian. This is a phrase that is used in Scripture to refer to the Jewish people as scattered outside of Israel all over the map. But he's using it here to describe Christians. This is the church first in his mind, a scattered people. Uh, and the idea of this is, think of it this way, is there's a difference between the church as seen by man and the church as seen by God. Does that make sense? There's a difference between the church, here we are, here's the church, here's the steeple, open it up, who's all the people, all right? There's a difference between what we see and there's what God sees. Um, and the principle of this is not everybody who's gathered in church is the people of God. I mean, growing, come on, you heard this in youth group growing up, you heard the phrase like, Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than being in a garage makes you a car. It's true. Remember I was harping on pickleball last week? Do you guys remember that? Okay, I'm just going to segue. Um, I went and saw Ben, 
Ben on our music ministry who's starting up his own coffee business. I went to the, I went, listen, his first event, the irony, as I was harping on pickleball, just slamming it, he showed up to, his first event was a pickleball tournament here in Boca. And he's like, hey, I got my first event. You should come check it out. I'm like, where is it? He's like, a pickleball tournament. I'm like, perfect, pickleball. So, which I have nothing against pickleball. I've never played. I just know it's really popular. So I, you know, it's fun to make fun of things that are popular, I guess. But so I showed up at this pickleball event and, um, I'll tell you what, like, if you're ever, if you're new to Boca, and you're like, I want to I contextualize this place, I want to know what this city is like, first stop, pickleball tournament, get there, you will meet most, you'll, you'll meet a large demographic of our community, it's such an epic environment, I mean, they were taking this so seriously, I was the only one there in, like, jeans and a t-shirt, just, like, walking around, like, like, are you up next, I'm like, no, I've got thirds, you know, I'm not there yet, and so, just kind of making my way, making my way around the tournament, and then I ended up at Ben's uh, coffee booth, but it's, it's funny, it's like, just because I'm there doesn't make me a pickleball player, okay? You, you might assume that because of my presence there, but the same is true, we know, of the church. There's the scattered church. So let me say it this way, not everyone gathered in church is the church. Listen closely to, not everyone not gathered. Does that make sense? Also people who aren't gathered in the church. That doesn't mean they're not the church. And there's a lot of Christians that my heart breaks for, because they are the church, but they're the scattered church only. The church is not just scattered. We also see the church is gathered. It's a scattered community of people. And, and the thing that makes them the church is not some membership stamp or form. Or how many times a week you serve. It's the blood of Jesus that makes you the people of God. That makes us the people of God. But the scattered church must be the gathered church. Do we see this? So you're scattered, but you're in Pontus and Galatia and Boca and Pompano and Boynton and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia. These are all, if you didn't know, South Floridian cities, of course, right? You're the scattered church gathered in a real time and place for my glory. This is the church. We gather, listen, to be a testimony to the world. He says, you're pilgrims. The language there is, is you're, you're those that represent another native land wherever you are. You have two zip codes, the zip code of your home address and the zip code of heaven. And we exist as this like colony of heaven here in Boca, here in South Florida. So, so that, listen, when we gather, Jesus said it this way. He's like, you're going to be a city on a hill, right? We're a, we're a community within a community. We're a city within a city. And if people were to come in here on, you know, the yearly orchid sale that happens across the parking lot, and if they were to stumble in here on accident, they do all the time, and they'd be like, what is, what is this gathering of humans doing in a middle school cafeteria on a Sunday morning? It's brunch time. What are you doing? And they hear a call to worship that brings us around Jesus. And they see the Bible open where we're, we're studying and exploring the ways of Jesus. Then they see us spend time at the end of our gathering where we just pray and we say, Jesus, your will, your ways, your plan in my life and not ours. We exist as a light to the world. They see us as the city within a city, a community of pilgrims. Peter touches on this in those other verses, 11 and 12. He says this, I beg you, Christians, the church, the gathered church, sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul. This was common practice in that culture. He's calling them to stand out. Don't be another indulgent city of the, or indulgent citizen of the community. Stand out. He says, have your conduct. Think about the way you're living as this community 
have your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. The word Gentiles there could also be translated non-Christians, non-believers, or pagans. So, so if we really want to press this, Peter's like, I don't care how much you love Jesus only on Sunday morning. What does your conduct look like to your coworkers? What does your worship look like as the church, as the people of God among the Gentiles, right? That, that's what he's looking at. He says that when they speak against you, and this, it's, it's, by the way, it's getting more and more popular to speak against Christians. It's easier. It's going to become easier and easier. And, and, and part of that is because Christians make it really, like, easy in the worst ways, too. It's like, stop it, okay? But this is just a truth of following Jesus, that there's going to be resistance, there's going to be opposition, but live your life as the church in culture in such a way that when they speak against you, they can't speak against your life, your good works, which they observe, and they glorify God in the day of visitation. Does this look familiar? You think Peter's, I think Peter stole this sermon from Jesus, didn't he? Jesus said in Matthew 5, let your, what? Light. So shine before man that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. See, this is what Peter is getting at. The church is the people of God who belong to him forever through Jesus that gathers in a time and place. This is what soulless church is. We're a community of redeemed people here in our time and place called to be a light in our community, to live in a certain way. Listen, there's a certain way that God's called us to live. Do we know this? We're not saved by living that certain way, but we're saved to living that certain way. This was the vision that Jesus had for the church. Do you remember this? When, he is, uh, when Jesus is commissioning his first church planters, there's 11 of them in Matthew 28. These are the first church planters, his disciples. What a ragtag group, okay? I don't think any of us would look at them and be like, nominate them for an elder. None of us would, Okay. This ragtag group of, of young men passionate for Jesus uh, that have learned under him, they're like all of us. We, we, this was one of the main points of the Gospel of Mark as we looked at the way of Jesus. It was also like a contrast with the way of humanity as exhibited by the disciples. We're like, they're, the best of man is man at best, right? And so Jesus takes these men. These, they're the first church planners. Like they're the front lines of this gospel initiative that's going to bless the whole world for the glory of God. And when he's sending them out into the world, this is 2,000 years ago, um, Jesus is the only organizational leader whose mission has lasted 2,000 years. That stated a mission statement, and it's, it, by the way, it's happening. It's continuing and growing until it reaches the four corners of the earth and Jesus returns. But Jesus commissions his disciples. He sends them out, and his vision for them is that they would do this. They would form communities through the gospel, through salvation and baptism, you'd have these communities. And those communities, the church, would be a place where people would learn together. We'd depend on each other, and we'd learn to live in the way of Jesus together. That we would devote ourselves to his words and ways. Not just do religious gatherings and church stuff and Bible studies to know more information, but, but the vision he had is that his community of gathered people, his people, would, would live a certain way. There'd be certain characteristics of their lives as a community that you could look on at them. Jesus said this, like, there should be things about us that people go, they're followers of Jesus. There, there's stuff about us that, that resembles him, that points to his way. In fact, that was, we know this, right? Um, before the name of Christians or the church was Christian or 
scattered strangers. Again, that could have been a good one. Before it was any of that, Christians were first called people of the way. There was just a way of life that was not conformed to the pattern of this world. There was a way of living that the Holy Spirit was producing in this community that was a witness to the world around them. And Peter is, is not just telling this church that they should have good conduct. He's being very specific. Can I give us a couple of those ways? Here's a couple ways. Couple, we'll even call them pillars for us as a church community that we want to live in our time as a community that belongs to Jesus, as a people. The first characteristic of the people of God that Peter mentions, mentions is people who are marked by, jot this down, this is so important. The church is a community of people that are marked by rooted identity. This is where this has to start. In a world where nobody knows who they are or they're doing everything to find who they are, We're a city on a hill because we're the one community that can confidently say, this is who we are. We know who we are. That that alone is a testimony to the world. How do you have such security and confidence in who you are? And you could say, I'm so glad you asked. Let me introduce you to Jesus, who created you, made you, loved you, knows you, and died to define you in him. This, This is the church. The first characteristic The first way that we're called to live is we're called as people to live. I'm called to live. You're called to live with rooted identity. We we see this even in that first verse we mentioned. As Peter is greeting these pilgrims of the dispersion, I want you to notice what he says to them. It's important to know that these these, uh, scattered believers that are all around... They're in the midst of severe persecution. Every th- it's not just that they, they're physically scattered. Maybe you can relate to this. Their life is physically scattered. You know what I mean? They're emotionally scattered. You ever felt mentally scattered? And, and, and in a sense, here's what's really easy. It's really easy when, when life begins to scatter, often the first thing to go is identity. When life begins to scatter, I start to go, my theology starts to scatter, and I go, who am I? Who is God? Who am I to him? What, what, what's going on in my life? Am I the source of this? Am I the, I mean, we start to do all these games. And so Jesus is writing to these scattered Christians. And he, and, or sorry, Peter is, and he wants them to be rooted in their identity. So notice what he says there in verse 2. He says, to these scattered Christians, here's what he calls them. He says, you are the, I love this, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. I want you to see this. In sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and cleansing or sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. This is remarkable. Peter describes their identity, listen, within the context of the Trinity. How can I know who I am? Let's just look at all of who who God is. And let's look at who you are in him as Father. You want to know who you are? Run to the Father. You'll find who you are. He, he, he gets them rooted in their understanding that we're the ones that, are, that the Father has not reluctantly accepted into his family, but that he's chosen and elected, selected us to be in his family. The picture of adoption here is just so beautiful. Adoption communicates, I'm choosing you to be in my family. I'm choosing you. There's the sanctification of the spirit. 
the work of the Holy Spirit. If you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit is upon you. He's on you. He set you apart. Whether you feel it or not, you have the Holy Spirit. And he's with you. And you might not feel very set apart, but maybe you just need to start leaning into this reality. The Holy Spirit is on me. Because my identity is in God, the Father who selected me, the Spirit who set me apart, and the Son who's cleansed me. Thank you, Jesus. Anybody glad to be clean in Jesus this morning? Anybody know what it's like to feel dirty in sin? Anybody know what it's like to, to allow your performance to start to thwart your identity? This is just so beautiful. It's like Peter knows how important it is for Christians to be rooted in their identity. Um, this is the first thing, I want you to hear this, this is the first thing that Satan attacked on Jesus when he came to Christ to tempt him in the wilderness. Do you know that story? Jesus is baptized in the Jordan by John the Baptist. Jesus comes out of the water, it's this epic moment where the Spirit of God descends upon Jesus like a dove and there's this voice from heaven where God affirms the identity of his son. He says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Right after Jesus is baptized and blessed by the Father, the Bible says that he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That's one of those Bible verses that'll make you nervous to pray. Holy Spirit, Spirit lead me where the devil's gonna tempt me. Okay, it's like, that's not, I don't tend to think that way. This is part of God's plan. Sometimes, the best way that God gets us rooted in our identity is he brings us through circumstances that cause us to question our identity. And it's through that wrestle that we get deeper roots. Are you with me? So Jesus goes into the wilderness and the, and the, and the, the enemy comes and tempts Jesus and two out of the three temptations begin with this comment. If, what? If you are the son of God. The Father's voice just told you. The first voice that we've all need to come back to from the Garden of Eden, that first voice of affirmation, love, and care, says this is who you are. And the first temptation of the enemy is to try to prove that that's who you are rather than, listen, receive. Receive it. And can I tell you, that is at the heart of Christian identity. That is it, that is it right there. Um, and this is what makes us different from the world. Everything in the world, and, and let's be honest about our tendency to be tempted towards this, Every aspect of identity and the pursuit of identity in our culture is all about gaining and grasping, right? Think about that. We, we try to get more things. We try to get to higher places. We try, to, we try to get to some higher level of fulfillment. We try to land that dream job or that dream position. We talked about it last week, all the ways that we look to be new. And it's a culture, even you right now, maybe as a college student, seeking to, to determine what your life is going to be about. And you're trying to pick the right major. If you jump from this major to that major. And you're just trying to grasp hold of some understanding of who you are. You're trying to gain your identity. And this is what's so beautiful about the Christian identity. About the gospel's identity for those who are in him. In Christ, we don't gain or grasp for our identity. Listen, we receive. We receive. And we're rooted in what Jesus says what Jesus has done. Listen, let your weary, exhausted, working heart rest this morning. Stop grasping. Receive. Receive the good news of who you are in Jesus. Be rooted in that. 
What you receive in Jesus is better than anything you could ever grasp. Amen? It's so much better. This is why Paul says this in Colossians. As you therefore have what? Say it. As you have received Christ Jesus, so walk in what you've received. Notice this. What? Rooted. Built up in him. Established in the faith. As you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Jesus, we want to grow in our ability to receive and be rooted in who you say we are. We're done grasping. It's wor- You know what the, the preacher says in Ecclesiastes? He says, it's just a handful of smoke. Stop grasping for air and begin to receive the substance of Jesus. According to Peter, you know what he says about you and me? I don't know how you feel today, but I got some good news about you today. You're pretty stinking awesome in Jesus. You're chosen. You're holy. He sees you as holy. He doesn't see you as your unholy mistakes. He doesn't see you as your unholy ways. He sees you as holy through his holy son, Jesus, and the blood that he shed. You, you're royalty. You're a child of the king. There's royalty in your blood. Listen, you are special. You're special. And, and I love how it says, you're his own special people. Isn't that what makes us so special? What makes you so special? I belong to Jesus. You know, it's like, what, if I had a guitar up here, I do. Thanks, Bobby, for letting me borrow your guitar for an illustration. That guitar's special. Why? Who it belongs to? That's Bobby's guitar, right? Now, say I had another guitar over here. No offense, Bobby, but it was Jimi Hendrix's guitar, okay? You're close, okay? Jimi Hendrix for Jesus, all right? But it's lefty, and it's even more special because of whose it is. You with me? You're special, not just because of who you are, but because of whose you are. And he specially cares for you. He specially loves you. He specially sees you. He specially knows you. He's specially walking with you. Don't worry. Look at the birds. They don't worry. Why would you as a child of God worry? You're special to him. Amen? How much more of a sermon do I got left? I got some good stuff in here. Let's keep going. This is the second marker of this community. It's a community that's marked by rooted identity. It's also, listen, we don't grasp, we receive. It's also a community that's marked by, this is so huge, word, spirit, unity. The church of Jesus is a people and culture that exists to resemble this unified harmony between living in the power of God's word and the power of the Holy Spirit. We, we see this all throughout the scriptures, the union that's to be kept and maintained between God's word and his spirit. We see it in 1 Peter 1.22. It's all throughout this, this section. But Peter tells them that they've purified their souls. Here's how we're saved. You don't work your way to salvation. You receive the good news of what Jesus has done for you. He's the only righteous one. He goes to the cross to be sin for you. We've sinned against God. We can never work our way back to him. But Jesus paid the price to bridge your way back to God. Through faith in him, you're saved and you become a child of God. That's called obeying the truth when you receive that. And notice what he says. You've obeyed the truth. How? Through the spirit. You see that? The truth and the spirit in sincere love of the brethren love one another fervently with a pure heart. Now, this is a pairing 
that we see all throughout the scriptures that is often lost in the church today. Uh, far too often today in the church, we either resort or live towards one or the other. Is this making sense? You have churches that are all about the spirit. Let it flow. Pour it out. Let's go. And, it, and it's all about this sense of freedom and liberty. But um, think of it like you have the fire in the fireplace, but there's no chimney. There's, no sh there's nothing to guide the fire, okay? Fire has great purposes, by the way. Great s'mores, food, warmth. Lee, you're a fireman. You could probably give me a few more, okay? But we know that fire outside of control, outside of a proper context, if you have a fireplace with a fire but no chimney, you know what you're going to do? You're going to burn the house down. Yet at the same time, if you have a chimney and you have your theology, look at my fireplace. It's like, well, is it ever lit? I feel that way about my life a lot. Anybody else? You yell at those spiritual people because you have all the right theology. At least they're filled with the Spirit. At least they're leaning into the presence of God in their lives. Are you with me? So, so, so Jesus, he said this. He's like, the worship that I'm building up in a new people is a worship of spirit and truth. He said, my words are spirit and life. So this is what we're called to. We're called, and I want, I want you to understand it this way. So like, this is how we can think of it. Okay? We're called to be people of the Bible. We, we submit deeply to the counsel of God's word. right? Deep reverence. That's why at Solus here, we don't just, I don't, I don't stand up here with my Bible closed and go, all right, what are we feeling today? Come on, spirit, what are we feeling? No, we, we stand and we submit to the word of God. Amen? You're not here to hear my opinion. If I ever start sharing my opinion contrary to God's word, you can, you can correct me. You know that, right? We're, we're not here for man. We're here for God. So, so we submit to his word. But th this is how we can think of this. Like I, This image of like the Bible... But it's got to be plus the Spirit. I think that's how we can think of this. So we're like, we got to add the Holy Spirit to the Bible. So right now you're thinking like, okay, I'm too word. I need more Spirit. Do you know what I'm saying? I gotta, that's the, is that the equation? That's the equation. My life has been missing. I've had a subtraction mark there. And I just needed a plus sign. That's all I needed from the sermon. Thank you, Andrew. Here's what I want to say to that. Nope. Okay. As we think about word, spirit, unity, I want you to think about it less as an equation and more as an experience and a cycle. The ministry of the word is the ministry of the spirit. Do you understand that? The ministry, of the, when you, the ministry of the word is to get us filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what the ministry of the word is. Is the ministry of the word to get you more filled with you? Sometimes that's what happens. Look how much more I know. What's well, like knowledge puffs up, but love is of the spirit. So is, your, is all your knowledge, are you growing in the spirit? Or are you just growing in information and critiquing everyone who doesn't know as much as you? See, the ministry of the word is the ministry of the spirit. And let's also think of it this way, vice versa. The ministry of the Spirit is the ministry of the Word. Jesus told his disciples, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. I'm not, going to, I'm not just sending you out with my teaching. You need my Holy Spirit. He's the helper. You need help. You can't do this alone. You need the Holy Spirit. You need to know him. Stop being all freaked out. He's God. Walk with God. That's the Holy Spirit. 
And the ministry of my spirit, he says, is to bring to your remembrance, what? All that I've spoken. The ministry of the spirit is the word. Ministry of the word is the spirit. Can I say what we're doing here? We're not trying to force two things that are at odds with each other into harmony. Are you with me? You know what we're doing here? We're saying, God, help us submit to biblical Christianity. Grow us out of our comfortable cultural Christianity. And may we be a people who are deeply submitted to the authority of your word and deeply dependent on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. May we never assume that knowledge alone is going to lead us to the life you're calling to, you're calling us to. And, and may we never try to live apart from your word. Amen to that? Right, the more amens you give me, the faster this goes. I just want you to know. Amen. Word plus spirit. Okay, amen. Okay, no, sorry. All right. Third, write this down, formational community. Formational community. Rooted identity. This is, this, guys, this is the way of Jesus. Stop grasping, start receiving who we are in him. This is what it means to grow as a disciple of Jesus is grow in your confidence of who you are in Christ and live from that. Don't live for something, live from something. The way of Jesus is also marked by word, spirit, unity, a dependence on God's spirit and a submission to God's word. And then there's this next thing about formational community. Did you read this there? As we come to Jesus as living stones, rejected indeed by men, were chosen by God and precious. We, we talked about this first. We're living stones. Notice this. We're being built up a spiritual house. This is really beautiful. This is language all throughout the Bible to describe the formation of people, the spiritual formation of, 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 of God's people in community. This is incredible imagery of, of the temple, that, that we're all stones and we're being formed. Um, Peter also is echoed by Paul. Paul says, as the church, you might not know each other. You might have different backgrounds, but you are no longer, through Jesus, you're no longer strangers. You're no longer foreigners. Get to know each other. Why? Because you're fellow citizens and saints. You're family members. Welcome to the family. And we are being built on the foundation of the apostles, Jesus being the cornerstone. Notice this. Here's the church. Here we are. Formational community in whom the whole building being fitted together. Here's what God's doing. He's, we're growing into a holy temple in the Lord. I love this part. In whom, in Jesus, you also, you, think of your life, you are being built together, us together, for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Do we see it? So, so there's two key words here. You're being built, and it's happening together. Formational community. See, Jesus calls us to be built. That's what he's doing. He's building you. You're like, what? I don't like his method. <laughs> a lot of jackhammers in this equation. A lot of sandpaper. <laughs> okay? He's building you into something beautiful for his glory. You're being built. Um, that requires, listen, that requires you to be intentional about your formation. Formation can happen incidentally, but it happens best intentionally. Thinking about who you're becoming. I think of um, this little playhouse that was finally completed in our back, backyard for the kids um, that I, I almost said Roberto helped me build it. Okay, I helped Roberto build it here. He's the civil engineer in the family, okay? I watched him. No, I'm just kidding. I helped him. But 
And it's been a year-long process. Uh, main reason is because just really how, I, I just want to like really just say the city of Boca really has great policies and they're really just trying to protect everyone. And, and um, I really recommend that if you build a playhouse in your backyard, you go through all the proper permitting processes. And, and it's, uh, for the most part, a pretty gracious city. But <laughs> That said, <laughs> um, we had some hang-ups along the way. It was, the project was slowed down a bit. I felt like, you know, Nehemiah, we had some enemies is kind of how it felt a little bit, but the, the, the building was halted for a season. And, but there came a point where it's like, we kind of got out of the clear, we got all the permitting, we were set to go. And this thing was 75% completed. It was just enough completed and built to be fun for the kids. But it was just enough incomplete to be such an eyesore in the backyard, like the ugliest thing with like rubber tart paper hanging over it. It just looked very pathetic and sad. And Brittany was like, you know, that it's not gonna build itself. You probably need a hammer or something, you know? So, and there's, there's truth to that. There's truth to God is the one building us, but your spiritual life is not going to build itself. Are you with me? You're being, your spiritual life's not going to build itself. You can't wait for someone else to build your spiritual life. Build yourself up on your most holy faith. Build yourself up in the Lord. Stop being so dependent on every little person to be a Christian. I'm going to talk for a second about community, okay? But let your formation be something you take first ownership for. But notice also it happens together. We're built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. You know, here at Solus, we really want to emphasize this, that we're living stones being built together. We, the, the idea is like, God is forming us together. We need each other in our formation. It's a group project. Um, these are the three markers of community that we want to resemble what, what that looks like here. As we're being built together, we don't want to waste each other's time with insincere love. Paul says, let love be without hypocrisy. That doesn't mean we let our love be filled with brutality, okay? But we love one another with a pure heart, as Peter says. We love each other enough to be real and honest and authentic in our community. We love each other enough to be there for each other when things are hard. It's authentic. It's not a show. I'm, I'm actually so sick of the word community. Because everyone talks about it, but, but who's actually doing it? I want community, I want community. Be community, be authentic. Be an authentic friend. Watch what that does. We, we wanna be authentic, we wanna be an interdependent community. Like, we're all stones that are built on top, like, I need you, you need me, you need each other, we, we can't do this alone. One stone ain't gonna build a house, okay? There's an interdependency, not one part of the body say to the other, I have no need of you. And the goal here, too, is, is meaningful community. Meaningful community. We're being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Like, that's what we're after here. Having fun is good. Joking around is good. Social, like, that's one of my values in my life. If you know me in our home, you follow me on social, we value fun. At the end of the day, the question is, is there a depth of spirituality in our community, in our lives that we're leading each other into? It's, listen, it's got to be meaningful or it's a waste of time. It's just a waste of time. I'll invite Bobby up here for this last one. 
And the last one is appropriate. It's kingdom ministry. Kingdom ministry. Write this last one down. We've got four ways to live in the way of Jesus as the people of God. We have rooted identity. We have word, spirit, unity. We need God's word. We need God's spirit. We have transformational, formational community. We got to build ourselves up together. We need each other in a meaningful way. And um, lastly, there's kingdom ministry. I love that Peter says, this is what it's all for. Did you see this? He says, you as living stones were being built up a spiritual house. Notice why. A holy priesthood. Here is what God wants at the end of your life or through everything in your life. This is what he's doing everything for. This is where he's bringing you and I to. This is, this is what God wants to do in our church. I'll even say this year especially. He wants us to be a people who are built up, notice this, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This, by the way, will obliterate, like the consumer mindset of Christianity literally goes into the trash can, but you don't, just, you don't just drag it to the trash bin, you right-click it and you erase it, like it's that deep, you know what I'm saying? That thing's gone for good. This sort of understanding of who we are as the church will obliterate a consumer mindset. The church is the priesthood of believers. Just as Israel had their priesthood, we are, we're our own royal priesthood. We don't simply exist to be served, but everything that God does in our lives, it, it's, it's to create greater worship from our lives. If your life is not being transitioned and if everything that God's done in your life and all that you know about him and all that you do, if it doesn't lead to greater priestly ministry, are you with me? Then there's something blocking what God's doing, what he wants to do. Wayne Grudem says this is what the church is. Not a gathering of consumers, but a family of priests that exists not just to be ministered to, but that exists to minister first to God. The the order of business here is really important. You exist for the worship of God. He made you. The reason why your life has no meaning is because you have misplaced worship. I'm telling you, you're gonna come alive when you see this as the purpose of your life. I'm a priest that exists to worship God, to minister to him. So when music is playing in in church, I don't even care who's on the stage. I'm like, oh, that's a new guy. Okay, cool. I'm just like, Jesus, I minister to you. I worship you. You're amazing, God. I love you. Thank you. Where is that in your heart and life? A priest that exists to to give our lives to the worship of God. We exist to give our lives to each other, to serve each other. To be more than just a community, to be contributors, to be priests that are here with gifts. You have gifts inside of you that other people in this room need. And ultimately, we exist, as Peter says, as a light to the world. To be a family of priests, a city on the hill that people look on it and they go, they go this, they say this, they go, what is it with those people? And they go, oh, they're the people of God. Do you go to Solus, Solus Church, this church? Here's the question, are we the people of God? Are we living as the people of God? 
I don't care what we do as a church from this day forward if it doesn't involve us just being the people of God. Leaning into all that he is and has for us. And, and so as we close, listen, this time is for you to look at your own life. That, that as a collective reality is going to be the result of individual evaluation before Jesus. So just right now, begin to make a secret place between you and God in your heart. This is about you and him. Tune everything else out. This is you and Jesus right now. Just say, Jesus, become precious to me again. Maybe there's other things in your life that have become more precious than Jesus. You're building on other cornerstones. You're building your identity. You're building everything upon things that are faulty. So you just, we just come to Jesus together right now. And we just turn from those things. We just repent of things that we've made more valuable than Jesus. And you know what Jesus does? He just welcomes us with grace. He just says, come on, I've got so much more for us to do. I've got so much more for you. So we're a generation that just is, is, is modeling this holy repentance. God, we're coming to you not just with our hands, but with our hearts. We're like Jesus, just do what you want in our lives.